Good morning, let's pray. How many know that we need the Lord? Jesus, we thank you for today. Lord, we, um, we know the importance that sermons are, but Lord, how many know that we need you? Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the person of Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who's here. And we just pray, Lord, that you would anoint these words. We just pray that you would anoint hearts to receive. Lord, that you would just set us up for an encounter with you this morning. Amen. Who, um, who experienced that storm last night? Yeah? I saw a few... Um, um, warnings coming over the bomb and um, decided to jump in the bathtub which is always a good place to be when the storm's happening and um, I was lying in the bathtub, I was relaxing, um, the kids had gone to sleep by this point and I was just relaxing in the bathtub the tub as the storm came over, just spending time with God, just relaxing in this place and I felt the Lord gave me a word and he wants me to share it this morning is that there's people here that you feel like you're in a storm right now. You feel like the, the, the lightning is crashing around you. You feel like it's dark. You feel like there's no hope. But how many know this morning I woke up early and I got up before the sun came out and all of a sudden the sun came up. How many know that it looked very different than what it did a few hours prior? And I, and I just felt the Lord saying again, to encourage you this morning that there is a new day coming. There is a new day coming. You might feel like you're walking through the storm. You might feel like there's darkness, but he wants to tell somebody here or somebody's here that there is a new day coming. It is much different than what you've experienced and the storm doesn't last forever. Amen. I'm taking that for myself. If that's for you, agree and say amen. Awesome. Also, while I was awake this morning, I actually did have a really good sermon prepared. Um, it may have been one of my best. And then I was, as I was praying this morning, the Lord um, led me to another passage of Scripture, which I've been thinking about meditating over the last couple of weeks. And I felt strongly to share this instead. And so I don't know what it's going to be like. If it's rubbish, um, come back next week for Dan. Um, he's going to be good. And, um, but I, I really believe, in, in seriousness this morning, I believe that the Lord actually has a word right for us now. How many are grateful that the Lord actually still speaks? Amazing. We've got this wonderful word of God that speaks to us. And, 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 and it's amazing that the Lord actually speaks to us continually His fresh new word. And... Um, and so I believe this morning, um, this is not the time to leave, it's the time to stay and get ready for what God's about to say, amen? How many people this morning would actually feel like you're in a season of confusion? You're in a season of uncertainty. Recently, I've been talking to people and I feel like this is a major theme. Is that not just in society, but even in the church, 
we seem to be in this season of confusion, of uncertainty, of we're not really sure what position to take, what approach to take, what to do next. And I feel this morning the Lord wants to give us some keys on how we posture ourselves in this season. Recently, I've been talking to some of the guys at youth group on Friday nights, and this is the current theme. We don't know what to do. What is the truth? I don't know what to believe anymore. This is incredible, and not only is it with young people, it's right through. And you, and you may be experiencing it right now, maybe you're in your family. Maybe this is a time where you're like, hey, I'm confused. There's uncertainty. What do I do? What approach do I take? There's decisions to be made. What decision do we make? And this could be right across your life right now in any area. Sometimes when we have this mindset, we have the tendency to shrink back. In times of uncertainty, in times of of when we're not sure, what we do is we usually retreat to a so-called safe place. And that's usually to something that is familiar. That's normally we go and we hide or we retreat and we think it's safe. It's usually to a place that's familiar to us. It's usually a place that's old. We're very familiar with it. And we wait because we're not sure. We're in unprecedented times. We're not sure what to do. I saw this firsthand when COVID first hit and the lockdown started. Um, I was working on a road project and for probably four to six weeks when, there was, when the lockdowns first started, everything on the job stopped. Everything on the project stopped. And the only reason was because uncertainty. Everything that that dominated the discussions and the conversation was COVID lockdown. What's going to happen in two weeks' time? What's going to happen in four weeks' time? What's going to happen in a few months' time? Everything was around these lockdowns. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of confusion. And I remember sitting there in my office And the Lord clearly saying to me, don't fall into this mindset. If you fall into the mindset, now now this was purely on a work point of view. If you fall into this mindset, you're going to be behind. And I had to keep pulling myself back because how many know that when we're in uncertain times, when things don't make sense, when we're confused, we love to retreat and just do nothing. And what we actually do is we love to just talk to everybody else about the uncertain times, the confusion that we're facing. And at work, this was the case. This went on for day after day after day. It was just conversations with all these people, all these guys at work who were meant to be building a a road, just consumed in fear, confusion, and uncertainty. How many know that this isn't the first time in human history that we've been in a season like this? Two thousand years ago, 
there was a group of people that found themselves in an uncertain predicament, full of confusion, full of frustration, full of uncertainty. We're going to have a look at a passage in John chapter 21. If you've got your Bibles... John chapter 21, and we'll start reading at verse 1. But the context here is that, that Jesus has, like we celebrated this morning, he's died, he rose again, and he's actually started to appear to a few people, a couple appearances. And, this is, and, and we pick up the story here in, in John chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. We'll just stop there. This is an amazing passage because... Here we have Peter and the disciples and how many know Peter's not having the best day at this point? It's crazy because the disciples, Peter and the disciples, they've spent three and a half years, they've literally thrown all their eggs in one basket to follow Jesus. They've spent three and a half years following him. This is, this is the, the, their leader this is the one who, 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 when they're in the storms, he calms the storms. He's the one that when they couldn't cast out the demon in the young boy, he comes along and shows them how it's done. He is the one that there's nothing that is too difficult for Jesus. And they've been hanging around with Jesus, following him for three and a half years. A short time before this, they believed that he was about to, to set up his throne, set up his kingdom. He was about to take rule. And all the issues were going to be gone. And within a few short days, he's crucified and dies. And all their expectations, all their thoughts were gone in a moment. Not only that, Peter denies Jesus three times. We know the story of that, and of course now in this moment, in John chapter 21, he's feeling upset, he's feeling frustrated, I'm sure he's angry at himself, I'm sure he's angry at the circumstances, he's just had enough of life, he's confused, it's uncertain, what does the future hold? We know that Jesus has appeared to him once already, 
But how many know that he's still in this predicament? He still has no clue what the future looks like. I could see Peter there just saying, this just doesn't make any sense. What am I to do? It just doesn't make any sense. And in that moment, he said, I'm going to go fishing. And how many know that the other disciples didn't need much convincing? I'm sure they were thinking the same thing. They said, yep, we're with you. And they head off. And they go back to the thing that was familiar. They go back to the very thing that they're comfortable at. And they go fishing. And it's, it's crazy because Jesus, he arrives the next morning on the shore, as we just read. And he talks to them and said, Has, have you caught any fish? And they say, no, they don't even recognize him at this point. I find that fascinating. And he says to Peter, throw your net on the other side. Isn't it interesting that from one side of the boat was like two steps. This is crazy. It was like two steps. And Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. What Jesus was saying to Peter was, you have to reposture yourself to get a catch of fish. Scholars tell us that as we research this passage in these boats at that time, scholars tell us that the reason why Peter was actually fishing on that side of the boat was because that's where he always fishes. That's his favorite part on the boat to fish from. Not only that, that's where he would have caught his biggest fish in the past. This is why Peter was there. Because this was the familiar place. This was the place where he had so much success. And here he is back. He's gone back to what he used to do, to the familiar, to the old. And here he is catching nothing. And Jesus comes and says, essentially, walk two steps. Reposture yourself, relook, and throw out your net. I believe what the Lord is saying in this season to us, in a season of uncertainty, in a season of confusion, potentially frustration, is to reposture ourselves to the Lord, to reposture ourselves to what He is doing and what He was saying. I love Gwen's sermon a couple of weeks ago about expectation. He's calling us right now to, to, to move, to have a shift on what he's doing and what he's saying. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I see the Father say. He, he, is, he is inviting us this morning, Hope Point Church, into a, a brand new posture of seeing his face. There's two things from this passage that I believe the Lord wants to speak to us this morning about how we reposture ourselves. How do we reposture ourselves in this season 
to be doing what the Father's doing to only say what the Father is doing. How many know that there's a lot of things right now you could do, you could say, in any space? How many know that there's a lot of things right now you could watch and you could listen to? But I believe this morning the Lord wants to bring our attention back, reposture ourselves to what He's doing and what He's saying. Number one, disappointment, fear, and discouragement will stop us recognizing the Lord. Let me say that again. Disappointment, fear, and discouragement will stop us recognizing the Lord. I find this fascinating in this passage that here the disciples are that have spent three and a half years with Jesus. He turns up on the shore and they're having a conversation with him. It's not like he was out, they were out on the horizon fishing. They're having a conversation and they don't even recognize him. Does anyone else find that fascinating? This is incredible. We also see this when Mary went and had a dialogue with Jesus at the tomb. We also see this when the disciples were on their way to Emmaus. That story fascinates me about how can these guys who have been walking with Jesus for this time, for three and a half years, now be having a conversation with him and they walk seven miles and don't even realize it's Jesus. I would like to propose this morning that when they did realize it was Jesus, there was nothing in Jesus' form that actually changed. It wasn't like Jesus was like in the form of Jared and then all of a sudden he like changed into, back into Jesus again and they said, oh, it is you. I don't believe that's the case. In the story, um, when the disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus, it gives us, it actually says that their eyes were closed to see who he was and then when they realized it was Jesus, they said their eyes were actually opened. The implication is that there was nothing in the form of Jesus that actually changed when they recognized him before and after. I think there's, there's one reason why we often don't recognize the Lord, and that is because of disappointment, because of fear and discouragement. Is it possible that Peter and the disciples were so involved in the narrative of confusion and uncertainty and frustration that they actually didn't even see Jesus when he was standing in front of them? Is it possible? I believe it is. About four weeks ago, um, we were doing the normal thing at home that we do and the kids had come home from school and did all that stuff and we had dinner, dinner was finished and we did the showers and got them ready for bed and um, I'm sort of been in charge in that at the moment, which has been fun and so got them into bed and, and Tommy, my five-year-old, he went to sleep straight away, but Mia this night, she usually goes to sleep straight away, but she didn't. And she's seven, 
and she's lying there in bed, and every time I would walk past her room, she'd say, Daddy, I'm hungry. So I'd, we have a rule in our house. Once you go to bed, the only thing you're allowed to eat if you're hungry is an apple. So I go give her an apple. And then five minutes later, Daddy, I'm thirsty. So, okay. This went on, you know. Daddy, I'm too cold. So I turn the fan on. Daddy, I'm too hot. So t- this goes on, and um, this is like an hour or so, probably not, maybe an hour and a half, and she just couldn't get to sleep, and then Daddy, read me a story, you know. Any parents know how this goes. Um, I'm sure all the kids talk about this at school. And <laughs> so this went on for an hour and a half, and it was just like, oh, wow, she's really not going to sleep tonight. Anyway, so... Next thing it was, she called out and said, oh, Daddy, I'm scared. And so I went in there and she says, oh, I'm scared of the dark. And I started explaining to her that there was nothing different between daytime and nighttime. It's like, it's just, there's no sun. And that didn't help, of course. You're talking to a seven-year-old. And um, so she's scared, she's upset. And then in our house, we have the occasional gecko that gets in. Um, <laughs> So geckos are amazing, beautiful, cute animals during the day, but at night they turn into like these monsters And when you're seven. And so this gecko runs up the wall and across the ceiling, and of course then there was no chance that Mia was going to get to sleep. And so she was singing out and calling out, and I said, Mia, just close your eyes. And then she's like, I'm not tired. I said, you are tired. And you can understand, this has probably been about two hours now. And we also have sort of an unwritten rule that the kids don't typically sleep in our bed. And so by this point, it's getting quite late. You know, I'm I'm tired as well. Um, I said, all right, Mia, you can come into our bed tonight. And so she comes, she comes into our bed, she jumps in bed. You just got to remember for two hours, she can't sleep. Two hours Every worry in the world has been plaguing her mind. All this, all these issues. And she, put, she gives me a bear hug as I'm in bed, and then she puts her nose right up against my nose. And I'm thinking, how are we going to laugh? This isn't, this isn't going to work. And literally before I'd finished that thought, she was snoring asleep. It was within, no exaggeration, within five to ten seconds, she was dead asleep snoring. And as I was lying there listening to her snore, I felt the Lord say, this is how I want to live with everyone. This is actually how I've I've actually called you to live with me. That that, that our eyes are that locked on Him, that all the issues of life, look... I understand people are journeying through some tough things. I'm not denying that. But he actually wants us to bring us into a relationship where we lock eyes with him. And just like my daughter, when all the worries in the world, that all of a sudden in that moment of locking eyes with her father, nothing else mattered. You see, fear will actually stop us from seeing who Jesus is. Disappointment discouragement will stop us from recognizing the Lord.
2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, it says, taking every thought captive into the, the obedience of Christ. This is a verse that, how many know that theory is wonderful and we're all getting hopefully some theory this morning, but how many know that as soon as we leave this place this morning, the practical starts? Theory is easy. We're in a comfortable place, we're sitting down, we're having a good conversation, I trust, and, and then all of a sudden, anything we've learned or as we read the Bible and our own personal devotions, that's great, that's theory, but how many know that when all of a sudden there's an issue in life and that's a practical? And oftentimes, in recent times, I, find, I found myself in the practical aspects of life and I'm thinking, I want to run back into the theory. It's so much more comfortable just in theory. How many know the Lord wants to build us into something strong? And this is one of the things, 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What that means is that in our journey with Him, we actually have to do a stock take of every thought that comes into our mind. It doesn't matter who sent it or how it got there. The responsibility is up to us to take every thought captive that means every thought has to align with the heartbeat of heaven. Otherwise, it needs to be flushed, discarded of, flushed into the toilet. That's literally what this verse means, is taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So many times we allow disappointment, fear and discouragement to impact our life and impact our thought life. I'm living through this right now. I'm in the application of this, but taking every thought captive. The Lord has been challenging me, helping me, guiding me on how to do this. It's taking every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. What that means is we don't live in denial. Let's say that we have a health report that is, is negative. It doesn't mean that we, we, we put that under the carpet and pretend it doesn't exist. That's not going to help anybody. But what it means is we look at that and say, there must be a redemptive solution to the end of this story. My story does not end in this prognosis. That's what bringing every thought captive means. It means that all of a sudden I read the doctor's report and I say, hey, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. This isn't the end. What it means is, like Jared was saying, that the, the redemptive work of God is interweaven into every aspect of our life. That means that there was a solution before there was ever a doctor's report. Before there was an ever is issue in your body or my body, there was a solution found in Jesus. That means that every thought now has to bow its knee to the name of Jesus. That means that we, we grab that, that verse out of 2 Corinthians, we say, hey, this doctor's report, this health condition must bow its knee to the name of Jesus. And by his stripes, I am healed. And we end with the narrative of our story. How many know that there's a lot of fear at the moment around COVID about what the future looks like? There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of confusion. I would like to challenge you, Hope Point, this morning that, that if you're believing a narrative that doesn't end with the redemptive work of God, you're believing a lie. 
if we're believing something that somebody's told us or we're listening to something that doesn't end in the victorious person of Jesus Christ, we're believing a lie. We need to align our thoughts with the heartbeat of heaven, which means he has a purpose and a hope for you. He has a purpose and a hope for our church. He has a purpose and a hope for our city, our nation. We doing all right? Everything must bow its knee to the name of Jesus. Every circumstance. And I encourage you this morning to take every thought captive. How many of you, like me, you're driving along in the car and like half an hour, you just think, hang on, I've just been thinking about rubbish. Like somehow, I don't know how it got there, but a thought got there. And all of a sudden, I've created this narrative about something that doesn't line up with the heart of God at all. I want to encourage you, Hope Point, that we need to be ruthless with what we allow in our minds, especially in this season. Ruthless. Taking every thought captive. I don't think this verse is a passive action. I believe this is is not passive at all. This is literally taking every thought captive and looking at it and saying, if this doesn't end, if this doesn't derive in the heartbeat of heaven, if this doesn't align with the heartbeat of the Father, then it's got no place in my life. Number two, how do we posture ourselves for what the Lord would say to us? How do we posture ourselves in this season? Point number two is this. We don't see clearly when we are outside our purpose. I'll say that again. We don't see clearly when we, were, when we are outside our purpose. It's crazy here that in this story with Peter and his disciples, that in Luke 24, Jesus had actually told them when he first visited them after the resurrection, he had actually told us to wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We see here in John 21, which is sometime later, that Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And the guys say, hey, we're with you. We see the fact that all of a sudden they had drifted from their purpose. Because it's convenient, because it's easy, because it's safe. Oftentimes in in seasons of uncertainty, in seasons of confusion, it's easy to drift back. We shrink back, we pull back to a, quote, safe place. We drift from our purpose. What I love about this passage is that Jesus didn't wait in the city because they should have been there. He actually went out to the beach where the boat was. They didn't follow what he had said. and He said, wait in the city, wait in Jerusalem till you are endued with power from on high. And they come up with a great idea that they're going to go back to the old ways, but he didn't wait for them there. He went to where they were. And this morning I want to encourage you 
that you might have pulled back. You might feel that, hey, you're not, you're not firing with the purposes of God right now in this season. But what I want to encourage you is Jesus is there. He's closer than you think. He's calling you again to say, hey, remember what I put inside of you. Remember that fire that I burned inside of you. Remember why you're alive. Because seasons of confusion, of disappointment, of uncertainty, of discouragement will always make us pull back. But the Lord is meeting us today where we're at. And he's saying, like he said to Peter, he's saying, come on, reposition yourself towards me. Remember those promises over your life. Remember why you were born. Remember why you were alive. Remember those things that haven't yet been fulfilled in your life. James, I'll get you to play that song now as we finish up. I just want you to right now, just close your eyes, just engage with the Lord, engage with Holy Spirit. Jesus is meeting us where we're at this morning. Last week I was talking to someone about COVID-19 and they said they were extremely unsure of what their response should be. And isn't this crazy right now? We're living in an environment where I've never experienced this, at least as far as I can remember in the church, where there's differences of views. Up until this point in my life, everything's been pretty much black and white. And now all of a sudden we're in this place where you two favorite favorite pastors they could have very different differing of views on this whole issue of COVID and the approach but what it means is he's actually calling us to seek his face because what might be right for someone over here is not right for somebody over here what the Lord is calling your family to do might be different to somebody else and I believe this morning that the Lord is wanting to reposition our focus Back to him. You know, the first thing Peter did when he swam and got to Jesus was he repented. And once again, this is the redemptive work of Jesus. He takes a dysfunctional, confused, uncertain, discouraged group of people and he fills them with power. And history now tells us what happens. He sets them as apostles. And the early church is birthed. And 2,000 years later, we're still reading 
these things and, and, and the word that was written by these men and women. Thank you, Jesus.